Thanks. Yeah, so the fact that you guys chose to spend your time here with this class, uh, Gabe and I know really appreciate that. So uh, I'm going to start off with a prayer, and then uh, we will hop right in. Uh, Father God, thank you so much for uh, the beautiful uh, weekend uh, that we've had here so far, the weather. God, thank you so much for speaking through your Holy Spirit, who is speaking through the hearts and the mouths of all these different teachers, God, who are helping us to have a deeper understanding, a deeper appreciation, a deeper love for you and for your word and for one another. Uh, God, I want to pray for this class that we're about to go into right now. Lord, we know that uh, there are few topics in our country right now, perhaps even in the world, that are more uh, volatile, that are more connected and tied to uh, not even just feelings and emotions, but identities, to the, our, our very sense of self, you know, God, that, uh, than the topic of race, um, than the topic of diversity and inclusion. And uh, God, the world has so many different answers and approaches for how to go about this. Uh, they've had them for the past, you know, for, for since human beings have been on this planet, God. But we know that the answer, the one that is the purest, the most, uh, the most profound, the one that has the true solution to, to not only change our attitudes, but God, to change our hearts and to save our souls is the one that comes from the Bible. Mm-hmm. And so, Father, I just want to pray that you speak uh, through us in a powerful way as we talk about this topic and that this isn't the, 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 the end of the conversation uh, here, but just the beginning of ones that are really going to help uh, move our hearts. So thank you guys. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Cool. So welcome, guys. Uh, my name is Anselm Beach. Uh, Gabe's going to introduce himself in a second here, but I'll tell you a little bit about myself. I've been a disciple now for a little over nine years. I got baptized in the Boston Church back in 2009. It was the summer after my uh, sophomore year of college. Uh, I went to Harvard University. I studied African American studies. Uh, and so things like this, I've been, I've, I've been around since, you know, I you know was a teenager, 19 years old. But, you know, not, not that young, but, you know, since I was... Uh, you know, yeah, for, for, for years and years. And so whenever anything happens in the news and whenever, you know, whatever, whatever the topic is, new books that come out, movies, I have a very, you know, uh, interesting interaction and reaction to those things because I've been thinking about this stuff for not for, for in an academic sense for the past 10 years. Uh, and. In a personal sense, since the moment that I realized that I was black, you know, and that that and that that, that mattered, um, and so you know, I, I wanted to intro, start off here. Gabe and I are both going to share kind of why we, uh, why this class really spoke to us, why drew this we were drawn to this topic to speak today, and why we think it's relevant today. You know, um, as I said before, you know, race is something that is a very deeply personal thing for for, for everyone for everyone um and for me and especially and when i was uh, a young disciple i learned pretty early on that talking about these things talking about race culture my identity and all that kind of stuff was not something to talk about in church now that was a wrong thing to learn i have discovered now uh, and we're going to talk about why, why we should be free to talk about this here. But I know that for many years, this is something that I didn't feel like I was able to engage in amongst my brothers and my sisters. And this is the very place where we can have that conversation. You know, uh, I re- there are a number of articles that have come out about why young people are leaving churches all over the place. And the reason why uh, a lot of them are saying is because... Uh, they feel like the church is not speaking to the issues that are relevant to today. And uh, I can't think of one that's more relevant to today and has been more relevant in our history's culture since, our culture's history, <laughs> since, but like, since the moment that people landed on this, this rock called, called North America. And so that's why I think that this is a very important subject. That's why I was drawn to it. And so hopefully through our, our, our lesson today, uh, you know, we'll just begin to start, you know, the conversation here that I think will, and hopefully we'll, you guys can take back to your home churches and continue that conversation. There are a few things I want to say before I pass it over here. Again, this is a very short class. We have 45 minutes up here to break down and talk about something that has been going on for hundreds and hundreds of years, you know. Uh, and so we're not going to get to everything, um, but we're going to do our best. Um, we do want to be able to hear from you guys, okay? So while uh, 
the lessons are going on, I will be in the back while Gabe is speaking, and then Gabe will be in the back while I'm speaking. And if you have a question or something that you want to ask at the end, the way that we're going to do it is I want you to take this borrow a piece of paper, take a piece of paper from your notebook, write that down, then you can pass it to us in the back, and then we will select a few of those questions to address at the end of the time, okay? Um, so, yeah, that being said, I give you Gabe Santos. Woo! All right. Thanks very much, Brother Anselm. Um, I really love saying that name um, over and over again. If I, if I had his name, I would... I would probably go the route of George Foreman and name all my kids. Um, the, uh, <laughs> some variation on the same name. Uh, anyway, as I uh, said, my name's Gabriel Santos, or as it was originally given, Gabriel Santos. Uh, I am Latino. Um, by birth, Venezuelan. I didn't give that away by my appearance, did I? <laughs> uh, in, in that case, you know, Anson and I have quite a number of stories, of course. I, mean, I grew up in Miami, Florida. I'm Venezuelan by birth. Uh, and, uh, of course, the issues of, in my case, issues of race and ethnicity were central to my faith. I was actually very close to leaving the faith because of it. Uh, and um, primarily because I didn't see anything happening in Miami. Uh, when it came in this case to even immigrant on immigrant violence, um, and in our case, there was a lot of finger pointing uh, going on, primarily between Haitian, Jamaican, um, Colombians, um, and even other folks from Central America. Um, we all basically turned, took turns be, being scapegoats, <laughs> uh, whose fault it was for taking jobs away or for having less pay and things like that. Um, and, uh, and of course, I, and then there was a number of things that I experienced firsthand. Um, you know, my best friends growing up uh, were Haitian, Guy Bougereau, we, we called him Jimmy. Uh, <laughs> apparently nobody had to call him Guy, so he just said, just call me Jimmy. Um, uh, Jimmy um, and uh, Dale Chai, Chinese Jamaican. Uh, and he was my best friend. Um, after actually a couple of weeks of, uh, after I was baptized, he was baptized. Uh, and, um, and, and then we heard a whole lot of persecution in Patois after that. Um, but it was, it was it, the one thing that, of course, stood out to me was when I went to the first service of the Miami church, I was probably reached out to by folks from seven different ethnic groups. Uh, and I had never seen that kind of peace in action, as it were. I hadn't seen those kinds of relationships in action in the fellowship. Uh, I thought that was absolutely extraordinary, and it, act it awakened my faith. Uh, and obviously, fast forward a number of years, and uh, Betsy and I, um, this question I'll pose up there for now, um, you know, Betsy and I went and planted the church in the, in the state of Delaware, um, and uh, that was a great experience. Um, one of, the, one of the, the, the young women that I first met in my doctoral studies in sociology uh, was a young, you know, one who was baptized. She and I taught a class in the sociology of race. Uh, and race relations, when that term was still being used pretty often. It's not as popular nowadays. Uh, and, um, and it was remarkable to both teach that class with her, um, she in this case identifying as an African-American, um, and myself as a, as a disciple. Um, you know, trying to think, what is it that I'm conveying that's true to my convictions? And it wasn't like I, as if I sat beforehand and looked at all the material and said, I wonder what here that I'll say is or is not con you know, consistent with my convictions. One of the things that I realized was that I had learned to speak about race and ethnicity from a lot of different things. And that's why I have that question up there. In many ways, what we're talking about here um, is, and, I, and some said this is beginning to talk about things here, is to ask ourselves, from whom or from what did I learn to talk about this? Yeah. Um, now, it's, when it comes to racism, it most certainly is learned at the table. Um, and a num for a number of years, I, I, I taught in, uh, as a professor of sociology, 11 years, and taught right, courses in a number of sections on race and racism, and would take youngsters out to Lynchburg, Virginia, um, and Central Virginia. And uh, that, that area has quite a legacy, actually, in the civil rights movement. Uh, and uh, more than perhaps maybe, you know, get, gets publicity. Uh, and um, it was remarkable, the level of ignorance, of course, about what some folks had gone through in that area. Um, I did oral histories with women uh, that had served as help. Members um, have seen the movie, Help, The Help, right? As the help a few blocks in from where they lived in Lynchburg um, in white neighborhoods. Um, and they told me stories, right? The, the white kids and black kids could play together, but when, they when, when the Civil Rights uh, uh, Act was passed, they could not be in a pool together. 
Uh, in fact, there's a famous pool there, the Miller Park Pool, that was emptied on the day that three black kids showed up just to swim in the pool. Um, so they said, we can play together, but we can't eat in front of one another with one another. And they said, and we shouldn't swim in a pool together. There was something about the intimacy that scared them. You know, maybe, maybe about saliva or bodily fluids. I, I don't know. Um, but there, there, there was, there was, that was there. And, and I realized but through that, I said, I've embraced a number of these stereotypes or even prejudices or even views, for example, about blood. Um, and I, I want to you know, draw attention here to Genesis 12, a passage that I think we all know well. I should probably have my Bible up here with me. Right, and if we turn to Genesis 12, um, most of what I'm going to share here briefly has primarily to do with a broad vision about how our faith makes contact with the world. Anselm is actually going to share more so about our identity as Christians and how that shapes our view of, uh, of racial issues. Genesis 12, we know this passage, uh, and at times perhaps don't read it in light of some of our conflicts. Um, what is God's intention in setting up this covenant with Abraham? Well, it's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Um, besides the fact that I put it up on the slide. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now that seems pretty general, maybe even generic. Um, but notice, of course, Abram was called out of his country as a foreigner, basically as an immigrant. Okay, Geb is the, is the Hebrew term. And when you leave and you're vulnerable like that, it means that you're at the mercies of whoever receives you. Which in the case, of course, in the case of African Americans, right, forcibly brought to one side, right, of, of the Atlantic. A number of other immigrants, of course, have the experience of knowing, I don't, I don't know whether I'm welcomed here or not. Um, and, but here he says, I'm going to pull you out of there. And in the process, I will make you into the seed of a set of families that will bless all nations. It's, good. it's important to ask ourselves, is that vision deep in our bones? Right? Or maybe I should say, deep in our soul. I am here to be a member of a people that blesses all nations and all peoples. All right? That was part right, of this intention. Now, I think at least for the sake of ground clearing... I think we're here because we want to know, you know, how do I discuss this? How do I talk about some of these issues? It'd be great for us to both clarify to ourselves, from what do I learn to talk about this stuff? But then secondly, once I do get that clear, I'm able to share that. Much of what, the reason why Anselm and I started with autobiography, just telling about ourselves, is because I think at least more than half of the battle has a lot to do with this very thing. Yeah. Talking about our story. And in particular, of course, those who have maybe been in a privileged situation where they have to hear about the stories of other people, and in particular African Americans and others, to actually go and listen. When I sat for hours and hours and hours and listened to the oral histories of, in this case, most of them were women, um, it opened my eyes. It did. It did build up in me a sense of compassion. Right? And it also exposed, wow, I have embraced certain racial views. And I thought, ah, I must be beyond that because I'm an immigrant. What a bunch of hogwash that is. Um, and, it, and it reminded me, even an experience, I went on to dates with an African-American girl when I was in high school. My mother, who's an immigrant twice over, she wasn't even born in Venezuela where I was born. And she would say, are you going out with that girl again? Oh, I may. Oh, you sure about that? I was like, What's with the interrogation? Um, and it, it, she was wrestling with her own. But it had to come out. We had to communicate and talk about it. Um, but it's amazing what then beyond the stuff that we learn is we ask ourselves, what's, what does God say about how I'm supposed to conduct myself? What does God say, at least in the big picture? God wants to bless all nations. And he wants us to be a part of a people that bless all nations. So, if that can then clarify with this, what I'm thinking about, hey, what do you mean by race? Isn't it remarkable? We actually at times don't even agree on that. Yeah. Yeah. Are we talking about a group set apart from others by physical characteristics? 
that is biologically a race? Or are we talking about just a group, right? A particular cultural group, which is usually what we use with ethnicity, right? Either way, if we're talking about racism, it is one group most certainly believes itself to be superior to another group. Or one group, in this case, right, as been in white America, thinks that the other group is inferior in some way. Right? There's something wrong with that group of people. No, no, it's not biological or something, but there's something wrong with them. We know all of this is untrue, but at least when we begin conversations, it's good to ask, hey, what, what are we talking about here? What do you mean by race? What do I mean by race? Right? What do you mean by ethnicity? Then we begin to be clear on that. Even some of the stuff on biology, it's good to just bring that out and say, hey, I know. In, in fact, if we take another passage from Genesis, right? Um, you know, here's one very interesting thing, right? Genesis 1, where do we all come from? God, right? We have one common creational heritage. Look at the DNA similarities between ourselves and a chimp. A mouse. We share 92%. DNA with a mouse. And for most of us, they're like, I have no relations with that thing. I mean, well, maybe I do with the ears. But anyway, the, right, I don't have that. A fruit fly, 44%. Right? And this, of course, has to do with certain things. I mean, we, we share with a, with a mouse and a fruit fly uh, structure and developmental growth, right? Development and growth. We share genes with them in that area. We even share 26% with yeast. It's a single-celled organism, for crying out loud. <laughs> when it comes to the use of sugars to, right, to enable and turn it into energy, we share that with yeast. Please, the whole notion of racial purity, it's almost too absurd to even bring up. But the idea that I'm part of this racial group, and, you're, and there's, my goodness, I mean, it's mind-boggling. I mean, it's so false, it's ridiculous. You know, at least as far as we, 18% with a weed, tail crest. I mean, you're looking at part of yourself when you're looking at your salad today. Okay? Um, the, the whole point here is that if we're going to clarify with somebody, hey, I just want to make the genetic difference is very obviously along on a spectrum. It's not by type. Um, for many years, of course, the categorization of people into different racial groups most certainly caused a whole lot of pain and misery um, across the board. But... We can speak a word of truth, at least we can make it clear to ourselves, hey, this is, we're all rooted here in God's creation, right? Um, all these little critters that we think are very annoying, uh, we share a whole lot what, right? Now, one important point, I think, to make from this is God also has recognized our categories. He respects them, right? You know when you read the Bible, and here, of course, I'm, I'm speaking in broad strokes, Genesis 18 and 19, that's the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Why not go and judge all of the individual people in Sodom and Gomorrah who are acting in inhospitable and violent ways? Why not? In Ezekiel 25 to 29, my goodness, that's like four chapters worth of a diatribe against all these different nations. I didn't even put all of them up there. Why not go after them individuals? Well, because God in many ways actually does respect these people groups. We can celebrate ourselves culturally. In many of our churches here, we're multi-ethnic. We may not be all that multicultural. It's not the same thing. Yeah. Right? We could be multi-ethnic and monocultural. Yeah. Yeah. And perhaps we need to talk about that. Okay? Um, but multi-ethnic and multicultural, God wants to celebrate that. That's part of blessing the nations. Yeah. Not speaking about the nations as distinct racial types. In fact, the whole table of nations in Genesis 10 and 11, right before the Tower of Babel. Those table of nations, right, all of course descendants of Noah's sons, in that case, the reason why they're brought up in the Bible is not because they're all distinct racial groups or biological groups, it's because they all figure very, very importantly in the story of God's redemption of all the nations. And in Israel's story. Of course there's other nations. It just happens to be those were the neighbors of Israel. <laughs> right? None of those are distinct groups. But God has something to say about the groups we make. The people that we form, God has something to say about them. My goodness, God even went up, through Jesus, went after Chorazin and Bethsaida, villages. He's like, I'm not even, I'm, I'm going to speak about the way that you conduct yourselves as a group, even in a village. With us, maybe it would be a neighborhood. In other words, 
God will speak up. And we should talk about it and communicate about it. But noticing here that God is the one who is overseeing all of it and guiding it from a particular mission, and it's to bless all nations. Right? We're going back to the very first covenant. It's not like when Jesus came around, he's like, forget that thing. Right? He's fulfilling that. Right. Right? And Jesus is something, of course, that we'll talk more about. I'm not gonna, I want to read another passage with you here, 1 Corinthians 9. And of course, uh, I want to get a bit more specific about uh, the sources uh, from which we speak. Um, for many of us, right, uh, we can get a bit more specific than the general question I asked before. How much of us right, take most of our terms and rhetoric from news outlets when it comes to the racial issue right, or racial conflict? And obviously, at the moment, most people think, yes, I happen to watch or lean on mostly liberal media. And some of us are, no, you know, I'm a card-carrying Fox News you know, fan. Or, or who knows what it is. Whatever it may be. The fact is, you are being shaped by that rhetoric. It is, in a sense, defining for you what is at stake. And even how it ought to be expressed. So, but the, so in some ways, right, we are taking someone's story and someone's version of it, and we are incorporating it to our, into our own. Now, that you can't even avoid, necessarily, right? We all learn language from somebody. We all learn, conduct ourselves from somebody somewhere. You'd have to leave the planet, okay, to not be influenced. But here, it is important. How have certain news outlets shaped even the Twitter feed yeah. or Facebook? Right? Who's the... Take a look right, at, at what we had sometimes think and even write uh, online um, and social media and compare this, of course, to Paul's vision. Um, 9 verse 20. For though, sorry, 19. I'm, I'm one verse off. 9 verse 19. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all so that I may win more. To the Jews, I became a Jew so that I might win Jews. That's an interesting statement, being a Jew. To those who are under the law, as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that by all means may save some. And here's again the blessings. So I do all things for the sake of the gospel, so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Some of you have a Bible that says share in its blessings, um, which is a reference to Genesis 12. All right, so he's saying, I as a Christian am already becoming something else with, with respect to the people groups that we identify. He kind of gets a little flexible, right? <laughs> or very flexible. He certainly expected Timothy to be really flexible. Uh, in Acts 16, right? Um, but for him, the mission of God to heal the nations is much more important than where he stands. Right? And there's more of that, of course, to come. But the idea is, whose story and whose vision are we imbibing when we respond to some of these things? And which, which one are we expressing? Because it's important to root it in Genesis it's important to do that. Like I said, for a number of years, over a decade, I spent time doing scholarship activism in Central Virginia. It was amazing how cynical and distraught, and even to the point of silence, I became over the years. Now, it's funny. Some people didn't really notice. Other people did. My wife most certainly noticed. Right? I became really too serious. And some of us maybe are involved with that kind of activism. And I, and I, I, I worked in, on, and I was on projects on food deserts for downtown Lynchburg. All the supermarkets left. Primarily segregated neighborhood, 80%, 85% African American. Right? And I and the students would try to think of ideas, having food trucks to go bring organic food, you know what I mean, and deliver it to certain neighborhoods. Uh, and maybe that would then start some healing. We had race dialogues down there in Central Virginia. I was part of those. Um, I visited the Highlander Center where Rosa Parks and Martin Luther King Jr. were trained and spent time there. That was an eye-opener because there I spent an entire week with what were 40 other activist types. Every single one of them burnt out. And they went there to state, I can't do this anymore like this. 
I can't do it. Part of it is that they had no spiritual rooting. So when I'm talking you know, with them about it, they're like, I, and, I, and I say, I see myself in you. I'm getting frustrated too. Worked my tail off for three years. And what's, you know, a little bit of progress? I understand. You know, I, was like, I, I share that frustration. But I'm becoming somebody else that is not godly while I'm doing this. And we ought to ask ourselves that question. Because when we're posting things, or we're citing or showing sympathy for a particular cause, we are being molded and shaped while we're doing that. That makes sense. Yeah. Right? And I don't think any of that is a great surprise. You know, the, I'm going to hand this off now to, to Anselm, um, because when, we, when you consider what Paul and the way that Paul conducted himself, he was so firmly rooted in a particular mission to bless all the nations. In fact, he said, I'll do whatever so I can share in the blessing of the nations. Now, in this, I mean, he's so flexible, he says, to the Jew, I became a Jew. I mean, he was raised one. He knew that very well. <laughs> um, he didn't forget that. Um, so this wasn't a matter of, oh, I'm forgetting, you know what I mean, these, these distinct cultural particulars. I, I'm sure he even expresses that in Philippians 3. I take pride in those things. Um, but relative to Christ, that's a whole other story. You know, and, and this... My own story, of course, of how coming from this kind of, right, from this immigrant background, from parents that are all over the place, um, and what have you, it's, it's one that I welcomed when I, when I considered, you know, Christ as a human being in God is already a mixed person, a hybrid. <laughs> Everyone who's baptized here, you were baptized into a homeless Jew. So, any ideas that we had of being already members of a particular group by in and of itself, it's already shot out. You know what I mean? Out the window. It doesn't apply. The, your will was combined with that of a homeless Jew that was crucified and raised from the dead. It's not like when Jesus was raised from the dead, he became some sort of generic human being. Oh, like Casper the Friendly Ghost or something like that. You know what I mean? It, it's, it, he was still that crucified Jew. That he had the wounds on his body. He was transfigured and raised for our behalf. But this is the bridge for me to, for you to consider is Christ, as Anselm here will share, is that bridge for us. How can we be a blessing to the nations? How can we view ourselves in relation to some of these other movements? Well, we have to view ourselves as inheritors of the Abrahamic promise to bless all nations, to view it even the way that Paul did, um, and to consider how can I speak from the resources of my own faith and not simply have it shaped by media coverage? How can I speak and delve into the resources of my own faith to shape what we have in the fellowship, what we have with the love that we have in the fellowship that we often, yes, take for granted, but what from that could I bring to my neighborhood? Knowing that God is watching the cities, God is watching the neighborhoods, God is watching the peoples. Amen? Amen. Amen. Welcome in, son. I need to grab my Bible, too, for my backpack. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Gabe, for everything that you shared there. And I think it's going to flow in here really well. Uh, again, I want to reiterate that if you have any questions that come up or things that you want to ask, uh, Gabe will be over here on the side or the back somewhere. You can just toss it off. Got a few great questions here, some of which I'm actually planning on answering in this talk. So uh, congratulations. No. Uh, <clears throat> so I'll hop right in. So in 2017, just last year, um, Beverly Daniel Tatum, she's a social psychologist, professor, and she was the former president of Spelman College. This is a women's uh, historically black college in Atlanta. She republished the, the, or published the 20th anniversary of a book that she had written 20 years before, I just said that, 20 years before, in 1997. That book was called, Why Are All the Black Kids Sitting Together in the Cafeteria? <laughs> you know, uh, if you were a black child who grew up, you know, and, and went through high school, or you, and you were in a more racially mixed uh, setting, then you know exactly what's being talked about here. And if you were not a black child, then you also know exactly what's being talked about here because this question is coming from that perspective. You know, but more than trying to answer this question of, you know, just, just why is this happening, 
you know, uh, Tatum, she takes more uh, uh, her uh, more of the approach of painting the landscape of race in America and how it feeds into the cycle that continues to spit out these uh, interactions, negative interactions between people of different racial and ethnic groups or ethno-racial groups, as I learned to call it in, high, in, in college, you know. Uh, one of the things that Tatum says in her book, she argues that a solution to uh, a lot of the uh, increasingly volatile conversations surrounding race, diversity, and inclusion is to have straight talks about race and how it feeds into our own identity, our national identity and our in individual identity. You know, that, that's what she's arguing here on, on a, you know, in a very, like, not completely like religious scale but just on a on a scale of like in our country and our history but you know i actually agree a lot with what she's talking about when it comes to talking about this as disciples yeah. as a church that is that is diverse we have people from nations all over the world you know people from many different backgrounds not not even just ethnically or racially but uh you know socially economically politically this is not a mistake. This is not an accident. This was God's plan from the beginning. You know, I want to talk a little bit about the history of, of, of race and more so ethnicity. Because race, like race, as far as like the color of your skin, is a relatively new understanding of the term. Initially, race was more referring to what Gabe said. It was about like what kind of uh, biological attributes did you have? There was the race of the mice and the race of the of the of the of the dogs and the race of the humans and all that kind of stuff. And that was kind of incorporated into that. In the Bible, a lot of those a lot of those uh, things are covered, but more so under ethnicity and culture. And primarily, we see this throughout the New Testament in the relationship between the Jews and the Gentiles. All right. So when Christianity was first, when we first established, you know, all the people who were becoming disciples were once Jewish. The history of the Jews is that God chose Abraham and he said, Abraham, out of your people, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And through your one family, through your nation, I'm going to bless all nations. All nations will one day be included in my people. But for a time, I need to keep you guys separate, not segregated, but set apart, sanctified and holy from these people so that you can one day become a blessing. So he handed down to them a law, a law that taught them about not just what to eat and what to wear, but a law about how to act with other people. A law about justice, how to treat the poor, the foreigner and the needy, the widow in your land. You know, a law that was meant to help them understand more about who God is, the God of, of who, whose name they bore. Over time, though, what happened was that the people, as they grew and, and they prospered, the nations around them began to see what is up with this group that's so weird and that's so different from us. And they've got some nice land, too. Let's take it over. And so year after year, generation after generation, century after century, People groups from all around them, Gentiles, basically anybody who was not Jewish, from all around them came together to, 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 to oppress them. And time and time again, they found themselves either enslaved or impressed or occupied by people from all around. They clung to these laws as more than just a way to see God and stay holy. These laws became cultural markers for who they were, it became their identity. They began to base their identity, who they were as a people, not on the fact that these were, they, they were gods, but on their God's possession. You know, I mean, God apostrophe S, not they were, you know, that they were God's people. But based on the fact that they had these laws. And if you did not fit with these laws, you were excluded from the people. It was their one way. It was their one way of coping with the fact that they were persecuted for their differences. And so what happens is you have this point where, you know, Gentiles are now coming into the church. And this is a brand new thing for a lot of them. They're, you're having to do all these people who were historically have oppressed them and who have hurt them. And so what you have is the people who were once discriminated against 
are now turning their own kind of racial and ethnical pre prejudices against the people who are now coming in. And you have this tension surrounding what do we, who, what do we eat and, who's, and, and how should we dress and act. And there was all this tension there. And the Bible spends the awesome things. The Bible spends a lot of time unraveling this and talking through this. You know, the reason why I say all this is because this is tied and connected to our experience as disciples with race and ethnicity, diversity and inclusion, and how it should shape the way that we talk with one another, but also how it should shape the way where we, how we ba uh, where we place and base our identity. Amen? Amen. Amen. Turn with me to Romans chapter 14. Let me give you a little example here about this and how it connects to uh, our, us today. So in Romans, in Romans in general, Paul is writing to the Roman church, which is a very ethnically diverse group. It was established by Christians who were once Jews. They get kicked out of Rome. The Gentile Christians stay there. They build the church. The Jews are allowed to come back in, and they find a church that's very, very different, you know. The music is a lot different, you know. They're actually using instruments this time, and not, you know. That's a little Church of Christ joke there for you guys, you know. The food is a little bit different. They're cooking with different seasonings, you know. Uh, there's a little more spice and flavor than they're used to, you know, and what's going on there, or vice versa. And so there's a lot of tension, and Paul's like, look, all right, I need to get to Rome so I can use this as a way to preach the gospel. And so I got to kind of help clear up some of these things and finesse some of these things. So he takes time to address uh, this issue. And he says in verse 1 that we are to accept those whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. What was the disputable matter? Well, we talked about this law. The Jewish Christians thought, okay, the law says we're not allowed to eat, you know, uh, unclean meat. And in a place like Rome, where there was like there's tons of Gentiles around, it was very hard to find meat that was not uh, that was that was uh, not unclean. So a lot of them, like, you know, we're just not going to eat any more meat. We're not going to eat fried chicken anymore. We're just going to stick to you know with greens or whatnot, you know. Um, and so, but what happened was they began to look down upon the Gentiles around them. And they're saying, hey, you guys are worse Christians than we are because, you know, you guys are, are not sticking with this law. You know, it became, it became part of their culture. You know, the Gentiles are like, oh, you Jews are so weak because, you know, you are missing out on the freedom that we have in the gospel. And there was all of this tension. You know, and so Paul, Paul said, look, obviously, like, we, we are not under the law anymore. We're free in Christ. Our identity is not in this, these set of rules and these laws. Our identity is in Christ. We're set free from this. But he doesn't address the Jews who are weak in this circumstance to say, hey, guys, you, you know, you guys actually are kind of weak. No. Instead, he speaks to those who are strong. The Gentiles, the ones who are right in the circumstances. They say, listen, guys, you guys have to adjust your life. You guys have to open up yourselves, be willing to act differently to help these people strengthen their faith and strengthen their understanding of the gospel. But this wasn't just a one-way thing. We read Corinth, in Corinthians, you know, uh, Gabe mentioned uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. There was another issue there regarding food. There, there the food was being sacrificed to idols. And so there were, uh, you know, uh, people were questioning, you know, okay, should we eat food that has been offered as sacrifices to these gods? Now, would the Jews who had a history, you know, at least for the past few hundred years of not worshiping any idols have a problem with eating that kind of food? No. It's like, it's, it is, I, I'm not, I don't care about food that was offered to a stick. I, I, I'm going to eat food. I'm going to eat it. No, this time it was the Gentiles who had a problem with something about with their food, you know? And so this time, Paul actually says, hey, listen, you, the, the, the Jewish Christians who are there, you guys have to bear with, the, with, with, with the, the, the faith and the misunderstanding of the people there and so that they can understand it, understand the freedom of the gospel eventually through how you deal and operate with them. Why am I bringing all this up? Why spend all this time talking about food and all this kind of stuff? Because one thing that we cannot uh, ignore, I think that's one of the things that makes it difficult for us to talk about uh, issues of race and stuff like that here in our fellowship, is that whenever you read the Bible, whenever you do anything of a spiritual nature, anything, you are doing it through your own cultural and experiential lens. Yep. When you read the Bible, you, you, it's, it's virtually impossible to not read it 
at, you know, as a black man, for me to not read it with all the, 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 the cultural weight and history infused into that. In some cases, that actually helps me to understand the gospel in the Bible in a much more, in a much deeper way than someone who has not shared my experience. Things like hope and perseverance and endurance, which is ingrained in the history of black people in this country, you know, through slavery, had to endure, they had to sing all these songs. There's an there's a, 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 a inherent spirituality that most minorities in this country have because of their experiences over the past few generations that makes them, you know, stronger in certain areas in the faith. But talk about forgiveness. Moving on from the past. Bearing in patience with people who may not who may accidentally with great intentions or not bad intentions say things that might rub you the wrong way. That's something that's more difficult for someone like me. That that might be a lot easier for someone who is trying to, you know, who has this weight and this past hanging over them. Many white Americans, many white people here, you know, you have this 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 history of you know, your ancestors or your family members or whatever, putting this, you know, this, 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 you know, putting out this and generating this hate towards minorities that you are wrestling with now, that you might be able to understand in a better way than I, than I do. There are many, many, many things like, like that, um, that, that come up. And that's why it's so important that we talk. That's why it's so important that we are patient with one another and that we bear with one another. Those who are strong and who see something, who understand, you know, a, Especially with issues of, of race and the experience of what it means to, to be black, for example, you know, we understand certain things in a different way than our our, our white neighbor here is the in in uh, in uh, the church here. You know, we understand things better. That's just the way that that is. But we have to also give the benefit of the doubt that our brothers and our sisters in Christ are not trying to harm us, but are trying to understand us. And just like Paul calls the, those who are strong, like, hey, listen, Gentiles, your brothers are weak. And if you eating a chicken leg around them is going to make them struggle in their faith, don't do it in front of them. Change your perspective. Because it's not just about, oh, I need to assert my cultural identity and my whatever. Like, no, 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 no. Not in this case. What's more important is this person's faith. Amen. You know, now I'm gonna get, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna come back around to this, okay? So I'm not saying you can't. There's no such thing as culture and no such thing as race, and we're all colorblind because that's that's the that's in the other way. That's that's, that's the extreme. That, that's actually incorrect and wrong. You know, um, but we need to bear with and be willing to uh, readjust. You know what? I've had like you know, there's, there's a phrase that people that uh, a lot of uh, ministers I used to be up in Boston used to say, uh, cotton picking. You know, ah, and then the cotton picking guy came out, and, blah, 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 and every, <laughs> every time, every time we like, don't say that, okay? Like, you know, now I have to bear with my brother, and I and I've had comments like, hey, so uh, listen, bro, can you not say that phrase? Just, you know, it's just the cotton picking and all kinds of stuff. It's like, oh, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, they're, they're totally, completely genuine about it. Sometimes like, sometimes they might not be. They might be like, oh, well, but it's okay. I don't mean it like that and all that kind of stuff. Like, our country, our, 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 uh, our country's rhetoric means I have to immediately count that person out. They're an enemy. They don't understand. They're done. And I'm just going to completely yeah. ignore them. That's not the way it is in the Bible. The Bible says, Jesus says that we have to bear. We have to, we have to wrestle with this, you know? Like if, you know, and on the other end, if you're a white person, you're trying to like understand uh, uh, one of your uh, brothers and sisters around you who's uh, from a, a, a different background, a, a minority background, you know, maybe they might not respond in, in, in the best way, in the most gracious way. Maybe you're having a hard time understanding and, and whatnot. We also need to deal with that in a, and accept people and bear with one another, just as it says in Romans chapter 15, verse 7. That we're supposed to accept one another just as Jesus Christ accepted you. Do you see how this is much deeper and much more powerful than the way that the world calls us to argue? You know, it it, it allows us to be able to put and root our identity in Jesus Christ, but while also uh, also accepting and celebrating our cultural differences. Amen? Turn me to Ephesians chapter, uh, let's see here. In t- for for the 
sake of time, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4. <laughs> I want to make sure the single people out there can get on their dates at 5. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, cool. So here we are in Ephesians chapter 4. Now, I want to tell you here, the point that Paul, this is another case where Paul really does attack a lot of this, this, this racial and ethnic tension between the Jews and the Gentiles. In chapter 2, he just talked about how Jesus, in his death, put to death all the things that divide, uh, the, the dividing line of hostility, he says, and made peace through his own body. So that the Jews and the Gentiles, the blacks and the whites, the Hispanics, the Asians, the Martians, and the... No, but all of us, we can become one new humanity through, this, through, through, through Jesus. But why? Because all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And all of us are in need of redemption. As he established that in Ephesians chapter 2. He goes on to say in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 7, he says... But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. He goes on from there, and he picks it up in verse 11. It says, you know, it was him who gave some to be um, apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service. Now, I want to pause there and say he mentioned a number of roles that, are, that work in serving. These are not the only roles that people can have. There are far more roles than just the, these typical roles of leadership here. I just want to make that clear. The point he's trying to make is that it was Jesus himself. It was God's plan that, we, that there would be differences amongst us within this one human being. It's God's plan. We'll go on from there. To prepare God's people for works of service. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. This scripture here says that we need each other. We need our diversity and our diverse experience to fully understand Jesus. You cannot know and understand Jesus without somebody who is different from you. Now, I understand this. I remember, like, when I first became a disciple, like, our campus ministry was very, was very uh, diverse racially and ethnically, you know? Like, so I was hanging out a lot more because <laughs> I, I was the guy who was hang, trying to hang out more with the black people in school than I was with the, with the white people because I was taught growing up that if I wanted to be authentically black, I must present as black. So things that were considered not black or not cool or, not, or, or white, I tried to avoid that so I didn't get made fun of being called an Oreo. That actually really, that happened. Black on the outside, white on the inside. Some of y'all can relate out there, amen. Yeah. You know, this was really hard for me because my identity was so much rooted in, uh, in my race. Because that's what the society had told me. That's what I need to, to, to root my identity in. And so when that was being attacked, I was being attacked. When I became a disciple, and as I struggled to root myself in, in Jesus, that my, that my, when someone, hey, Anselm, describe yourself. I'm not a black male. I'm a Christian who happens to be a man who is also black. You know, that's what it is first and foremost. Anyway, I remember uh, one time I was hanging out with some of the kids in the campus ministry. And I realized that all of us in this group were black. And we were joking in a different way. There are certain things that we could say without having to look around and be like, oh yeah, so I told that guy, you know, like, you know, like there was a way, and, and, and it was actually quite refreshing and quite relaxing. I understood, like once more, why it's so easy to spend time with people who are like you. Because you don't have to hold your tongue. You don't have to watch your mouth. You don't have to sit on, it doesn't feel like you have to sit on pins and needles because someone might get offended about it. And I totally get that. And you know, we can live our life that way and it would be super easy and we would completely miss the power of the gospel. That's why this is so, so important that we are patient and bear with one another and have these conversations. The church cannot be a place where we just brush over these issues that are super and extremely relevant because they were relevant and important to God. Yeah. From the very beginning, there's all nations together because he knew you cannot know me and fully understand me and fully accept who I am without each other here. 
And it was it's something that's so amazing because redemption is for all of us. Amen? Amen? I have a few more things that I wanted to say, but in the interest of time, I'm going to just simply close out with this idea right here. You know, it really is, there are so many answers out there that people are offering for um, the divisions and the things that divide us here, you know. Um, the Bibles is actually the best answer. And I agree with, I, I can relate so much to what Gabe shared about, I was one of those people. Somebody who kept fighting for what was right because, you know, but basing it in something else, you know, basing it on something else besides the hope that we find in the gospel, yeah. you know, and it wears you out because there's always, there's going to be another shooting. There's going to be another, you know, uh, you know, cartoon or something like that that comes out that offends somebody. You know, there's going to be another argument and disagreement on the political scale, you know, whatever. And that's, that's all to have. It's going to be so hard if you're trying to just basically, like, if the goal is that I'm just trying to make things better, you know, here for the sake of making things better. But once you put your hope, your, your hope in the gospel message, that this world is fighting, worth fighting for because of the souls within this world. And the souls that we can enable to help experience true, uh, true freedom in Christ. That is a fuel that can, that, that, that can um, push us more and more towards, 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 towards fighting injustice, towards being more inclusive, and towards uh, you know, experiencing the fullness and the measure of Christ. Amen? Amen. All right, thank you. Uh, Anyway, yeah, I, there was a thanks very much, uh, especially for these uh, questions that were submitted um, in papers of all shapes and sizes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, and uh, I don't, you know, maybe I don't know which one of these. There's a few that I that I think could be addressed in a somewhat rapid fire fashion. Yeah. Um, uh, this, this the, okay. Yeah. Um, this first one was Jesus black. <laughs> if not, what was his race or ethnicity? <laughs> I don't know who asked. Okay. Um, and does it matter? Um, I think I somewhat addressed that in the, the last... Uh, I mean, Jesus was not black. Um, he was a Jew. It's actually interesting. It's, that question has always been raised. as Well, what is that? Yeah. Um, is it a nationality? Is it an ethnicity? Is it a race? I mean, you get, we're very confused, actually, when it comes to that. We say things like, oh, I've got a lot of Irish blood in me. What is that exactly? Um, Ireland is a nation. Where did that blood... I understand the association... Um, and even the geographic proximity. But, no, I, I think it is significant here, again, that Jesus being a Jew um, is the person with whom God is more than willing to join us and make us one with them. It's kind of funny. God respects these, these, these categorizations, but he's also very willing to violate the boundaries that we set up between them <laughs> when they become idols. Yeah, and I'll, I'll add something to that, too, because someone else also gave me the question of, uh, why do people depict Jesus as being white? And I think that a great way to answer that is that we, it's exactly what I said, we cannot help but approach anything through our cultural lens. And so, like, that's, you know, a lot of the famous artworks that are about, um, you know, that, are, that depict Jesus and depict other scenes from the Bible uh, come from uh, the Renaissance period, and that was primarily from, you know, Europeans who were depicting this, you know, uh, these scenes through their own cultural lens. Now, I actually don't have a problem with that. The problem with that in and of itself, the problem becomes when we assert that that is the only way to see everything, you know? And so it's actually a really cool thing. I didn't have time to show it here, but if you look this up, there's a church um, in Nazareth called the Church of the Annunciation. Uh, and it's in, it's in Nazareth, uh, Israel. And they uh, commissioned a bunch of artists uh, a few decades ago to redo uh, within their own kind of from their cultural lens, like um, this painting of you know the Virgin Mary and baby Jesus, right? And so when you look at these things, these are pictures from nations, uh, artworks, and from nations from all over the world. And what do they do? They add in their culture, their cultural flares to it. And it's actually for me, it was beautiful because you're seeing all the different styles of arts, the different ways that people look at it, and it, and it reminded me. Wow, 
God has really made it like in no place else where people can be united together through our common identity in Christ and still be able to celebrate our diversity. So I'll, that, that was what I was going to answer. Uh, I wanted to hop in on that one too. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. Um, uh, there's a question here. How much or should we, how much should or even should we as disciples be involved in political or I'm guessing here political <laughs> or racial justice movements? Mm-hmm. Um, all right, obviously over the years, um, I've, I have friends that are part of the Occupy movement. Um, I know a number of people that are part of Black Lives Matter uh, in a few different cities. Um, uh, more folks from Occupy uh, and other somewhat anti-racist organizations. Um, I mean, I think the point is clear. Every Christian is an anti-racist. But not every anti-racist movement is Christian. Um, so I befriend them. And we talk. And we exchange messages. I never post anything about my discussions or exchanges with them. They're my friends. They know where I stand. You guys say, I don't know. I agree with, I am sympathetic with your causes. If you, right, we, I think we have friends. We attend, I'm sympathetic with your causes, but I want to make it clear up front that I don't necessarily agree with your methods. Yeah. Only because, and, and I, sometimes I'll speak about the very experiences that I shared. I have been there, and I notice myself becoming hateful. Yeah. And when I become hateful, I'm already smearing the image of God. Yeah. Uh, so if it's a matter of us being an us, a we, uh, then I can't participate in that. Yeah. I will help you in other ways, but I can't participate in that. Um, hope, hope that's helpful. Yeah. And, I, and I'll add on to that too, because I think, I think it really does come down to, again, we have to be patient and loving towards, uh, towards everyone. And, and that means that, like, you know, I, again, I, I don't think it's wrong to participate in, in uh, things like, you know, Black Lives Matter or... <clears throat> other movements but we also have to be willing to accept that there are people who feel very strongly and who will participate in things on the other side as well you know and i think we can't be like oh that's that's wrong that's evil immediately um you know we can say that about the concept but what happens is we look at the person and say that person is evil you know and i think that a lot of the rhetoric uh, surrounding this is that like it, it, it goes to make people as out as the enemy yeah. and the pe- people aren't the enemy. Satan is the enemy. Right. Evil is the enemy. And, and that is what, and, and Satan's plan is to make us look at, you know, other people and say, yeah. you are the enemy here. So somebody who might be, so if, if we're, if you're willing to engage on one side, we have to be willing to accept people who are willing to engage on the other side as souls, as people who need to be befriended, who need to be uh, loved uh, and that can really help them, you know, help them to, you know, to, to find their way and help us to find our way as well. So, yeah, that's I think that's uh, important one right there. Uh, I'll say this one real quick. Someone wrote this question. Racism is America's core sin. We have no study about it in our series. Why not? Uh, I think that's a that's a fantastic yeah. question. And I think that, um, you know, I think that's something that, yeah, we probably could uh do more to talk about within that. I know that when we talk about sin, uh, we read through Galatians 5, chapter uh, chapter 5, verse 19 to 22, 21, and uh, it talks about hatred as being a sin. That's a great opportunity to dig much more deeply into that. And that's why it's important for us to be in our Bibles and for us to be out there studying the Bible with people as well, you know. Had to put in something in there about evangelism and sharing the faith, amen, you know. But, but I, I, you know, I'm doing that because that's, that's honestly how we can have the conversations that change that change people's hearts. And so if this is something that really is prevalent and heavy in your heart, why don't you develop the study and put it into your, into your series? You don't, you don't have to be, you don't have to stick with the, you know, the study series, you know, exactly. You help, you meet a person where they're at. You meet a person with their need, needs. I was in the ministry for seven years and many times I just like put the study series aside and just engage with somebody on their level. And so I think that, uh, yeah, that's, that's what I would say about that. Cool. Well, anyone that needs to go can go. Uh, yeah. You have a date. <laughs> um, but I was pleading for patience there. Um, the, uh, um, there, there, were, there were a number of fear actually that were related. Uh, there was one, how does one overcome years of radical activism that hated whites? Um, so I'm not sure I could de- defer to you on that one. I, I think you've mentioned it. Friendship yeah. is, is central to that. Yeah. Um, and uh, actually spending time listening to these stories and sharing yeah. One's own story is important. Um, and the story of Daryl Davis is quite re- remarkable yeah. in, in that regard. Um, if you could watch a documentary about him, Accidental Courtesy, uh, Daryl Davis, African-American musician, uh, has befriended a lot, uh, I don't know how many, a lot of members of the Ku Klux Klan. 
Um, and through his friendships, um, he's got quite a record. Dozens have come out of the Ku Klux Klan. They give him his hood. He has a garage filled with hoods of members of the Ku Klux Klan, including Grand Wizards. Um, One of whom insulted him on television. Uh, (laughs) um, And uh, and through the course of meeting with these gentlemen and befriending them, they said, what was wrong with me? And and they've come out. So it has power, but it takes time. Uh, And it doesn't take quite a lot of honesty. Um, There was actually a comment that was provided by another sister here uh, that that is helpful here, is that anyone, especially from from an Anglo background here, white background, that was raised in a family of of hardcore, you know, strident racism, um, overt racism, um, it would be great for you to share that story. Um, And in particular to see, because being inside that, you could see, okay, here are the sorts of things that they defend, here are the sorts of things that we hold on to, that we embrace, um, and in that case, actually have probably a better idea of what, not just what should work, according to here, what's put up on memes, yeah. <laughs> but what does actually work. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and again, the sharing of these stories, and especially of having folks listen to the pain of racism on, on, from the other side is very important to hear, especially from someone in that background. Yeah, um, anything else? yeah I'll say something to that too. Uh, you know, again, the Bible is a great place to go to this, a great example of this. I mean, I need, you guys need to imagine the fact that after Paul was baptized, that's why Paul wrote a lot about this. I think he understood this deeply in his heart. He hated Christians, and he, perse- and he pursued them and persecuted many of them to their deaths. And then he became a disciple and then was in the homes of people whose relatives died at his hands. And these people, like, loved him. They, 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 they fed him. It was a weird, it was a weird thing. And I think you have to give yourself time to feel the things that you feel. But that does not give us the excuse to feelings and emotions. We are entitled to our feelings and to our emotions. We're not entitled to our behaviors and our choices as a result of those. And as disciples, you really have to strive to, to you know, give the love that, that Jesus, you know, uh, Gave and then inspired his disciples to do the same exact thing, and uh, in doing so, I mean, you you could do a world of good for the people who you are are, are learning to love again, you know, and a, and a world of good for your own heart and your own soul too. So, yeah. Amen. The last one that I'll mention here, this is a doozy. Uh, is it true that Christianity was used to enslave Africans? Uh, and how to answer this when reaching out to African Americans? Yes, it was. Um, <laughs> that's the uh, short answer. It was used. Uh, in fact, I have a book on me uh, that has a, um, a baptismal uh, pronouncement uh, from, uh, the, uh, from the South uh, during the slave period uh, that, it said that it's, it, was, it was a baptismal formula read as a slave was being baptized. Part of the vow was to be loyal to the master uh, as part of the faith. Um, it was, I think, an Anglican uh, baptismal formula. Um, so it's clearly used in that way. Now, the ironic, of course, result was that it was both used to enforce slavery and then also to spur on an uprising. <laughs> um, like, Let me move on a little. What's all this stuff here in Exodus? Um, uh, we know, of course, many of the hymns that we sing um, are rooted in Negro spiritual uh, and slave experience. Um, so it's kind of interesting. It was both used to enforce it and also planted the seeds of revolution and rebellion. Um, now, the one thing that I'll say about the Bible is very clear that they, in some cases they cited. Um, there's actually a very good book called um, The Civil War is a Theological Crisis. Uh, it's by Mark Knoll. That actually rehearses all of the arguments pro-slavery and anti-slavery from, the, from that period. Um, and, uh, and in it, yes, they cite passages from the Old Testament. Because, of course, during that period in the Near East, slavery was very common, in particular debt slavery. Yeah. Not necessarily the kind of chattel slavery that took on form here in the United States, um, but slavery nonetheless. Uh, there, of course, there are even passages in there that allow, hey, if the slave loves the family that they're with, um, clearly this wasn't necessarily a racial issue. They happen to love who they were with. There was provisions in the Old Testament law to stay with that family. Uh, and, of course, if they became something called a ger, they were, allowed, they were given all of the rights and privileges of being a member of Israel. Yeah. Um, more than anything here is God most definitely is slowly but surely forming a people that by the time you get to Philemon in the New Testament, 
you can already see that it's starting to destroy the usual strictures and expectations that keep slavery intact. Does God come down and swipe the whole thing away? Well, there's a whole lot of things that God has not come down and swiped away. Because again, he's respected our freedom and he's respected, right, in our case, uh, the way that love works. And that's not he's going to shove the law down the throats of everyone who's there. He slowly but surely over the years reveals this is what the people of God are like. I enter your world uh, as God and you have slavery and mass violence and a whole lot of other things. Little by little, you see the, re- the revelation incrementally, of course, reach the apex in Jesus. And there, as we see in Philemon, this is your brother. This is an us. This is somebody with whom your destinies are intertwined. A very important point on racial justice uh, that always makes a difference. Am I what a light-skinned, fair-skinned person willing to share a destiny or a life or a risk with somebody else right? who does not look like me? Because it's us. It's about us. We fall together and we stand together. If I'm pulling myself away from that, that certainly is not going to help. But everything in the Christian gospel here is about, no, you guys are one. And now you're going to have to share your destinies. Because uh, that's what, how God has deemed it. Is that helpful? Yes. Okay. Amen. Have a great night. Thanks a lot, man. You're terrific. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk. Thanks, Gabe. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Boiling up here. Wow. Thanks so much. I've been praying about that. I'm here.